Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Just go to Indeed.com slash BrainsOn right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Brains On, but we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Okay, Medica, Rochambeau, whoever wins this gets to try out the cheese ray first. Sweet beams of Gouda, here I come. Ready? Oh, yeah. Rock, Rock paper, paper, scissors, scissors. tree! Uh, Mark, did you say tree? No, that, that wasn't you? Uh, whatever, Let, let's try this again. Yeah, one more time. Rock, Rock paper, paper, scissors, scissors tree. Okay, I definitely heard tree. Trees beat rocks because trees can eat sunshine and rocks can't. I think the voice is coming from the window. They beat paper because paper is just old trees and old never beats young. Oh, behind the blinds. Uh, on the windowsill. It's a sapling in a pot? And trees beat scissors because when we are big and mighty, nothing can get through us. Trees win! I don't think that's how the game works exactly. Also, a talking sapling? Oh, please. You guys have talking bugs on your show all the time. Are you really surprised? Good point, sapling. Good point. Plus, Sandin has been experimenting with giving voices to inanimate objects. He's been paranoid that the staplers are plotting against him, and he wanted to get intel from the water cooler. So what's going on, tiny tree? The name is Subpoena, and I'm just photosynthesizing and pondering the big questions. Like, if I was all alone in a forest and I fell down, would I make a sound? JK, LOL! Of course I'd make a sound. I'd sound like this. Ow! I fell over! Ouch! That hurts! Someone call a tree doctor! hey <laughs> You're pretty funny. You know, Molly is literally about to do an episode about trees right this very minute. We should totally have you on. Me? What could I possibly talk about? Psych! I can talk about anything! I have so much to say! Want to hear my thoughts on ponies versus puppies? Or the best kind of not? I'm a big fan of the figure eight, but a timber okay, hitch is probably come here, tiny tree. because... Let's get you to the studio. Okay, you guys, go ahead. Let me just put this cheese right away. I'll get the... Ah! Whoa! You just turned the copier into cheddar! Oops, I guess my finger slipped. But, Manica, if you hurry back, you can help me eat this. Welcome to Brains On for American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and today I'm here with Julius from London. Hi, Julius. Hello. Um, we're also joined by Sapina. She's a tree sapling. That's what you call a small, young tree. Hi, I'm Sapina, and I'm a blackjack oak. Today we're talking trees. And Julius, you wrote in to us a long time ago asking about trees. I'm just wondering, do you still think about trees? Yeah, I do, I guess. I always wondered how they communicate, stuff like that. That's very interesting. Do you have a favorite kind of tree? Um, I would have to say maple because of maple syrup. It's very delicious. When you think of a tree, what is the first part of the tree that you think of? The first part of the tree I think of is the branches because, you know, calculating the best way to get up it. Definitely. Finding your climbing route. 
Yeah, I think one of my favourite outdoor activities is probably tree climbing. So, oh, Do you have any tree climbing tips? Upper body strength is really important. <laughs> so you can do some training first. Like pulling yourself, yeah, you have to train. What about you, Sapina? Do you think about trees a lot too? Oh, yeah. I think about trees all the time. We're just so amazing. That makes sense. And you are in good company. Our listeners like pondering trees too. Hi, my name is Malcolm. My question is, what happens inside of a tree while it is growing? Hello, my name is Oliver. And my question is, how do trees grow? Hi, my name is Sarah. And my question is, how do trees grow? My name is Claire. How do little tiny seeds become big trees? Hello, my name is Julian. I'm eight years old. My question is, how do trees grow? And while they're growing, how do the branches form? Thank you and keep up the good work. Thanks, Julian. So, Sapina, since you're here, maybe you can help us answer some of these questions? Totally happy to help. I'll take you through all the levels I've gone through to get here. Levels? Yeah. You can think of growing into a tree kind of like playing a video game. You complete level one, and it's on to the next. Lucky for you, I've been recording my game on Twig TV. Check it out. Level one, seeds can't run. Okay, so in this level, I'm a seed. I can't move. My foes? The forces of chaos. I have to avoid getting eaten or destroyed. (gasps) Oh no, a bird! It flew away. (sighs) This level is almost all luck. But thankfully, I find a good spot to grow. I make it to... Level two, start to thrive. As a seed, I have all the food and instructions I need to start life as a tree. This level is all about letting water into my seed and chomping on the starch stores in my seed so I can grow and get to... Level 3, Sprouting Root. So now, I'm still chomping on starch from my seed because I can't make my own food yet, but I'm running out of starch. I have to break out of this shell. So I grow my first root. And I grow a little shoot, my first little stem, from the top of my seed, too. I follow gravity to point my root down and follow sunlight to grow my shoot up. Once my shoot grows through the dirt into the air... Level 4, first leaf. This is a big one. I grow above ground and get my first leaves. So this level is when I start doing my own photosynthesis. That means I take in water, carbon dioxide, and sunlight, and make oxygen and sugar. I can make my own food from light. And thank goodness, seed starch is for plant noobs. Wow, thanks, Sapina, but um, we like seed starch. Yeah, when people eat rice, they're eating seed starch. Flour is ground up seed starch, too. It seems a little weird to eat seed starch if you don't even grow roots or leaves. But anyways, those are all the levels I've beat so far. Progress saved. Bark Boss awaits. I have some leaves now and a few different branches, and I think in the next stage I do more growing, but I can't seem to beat the Bark Boss that unlocks my bark growing powers. Hmm, seems tricky. I think I know who can help. We have this tree museum on the 11th floor, actually. I bet we could figure out your next steps there. For realsies? A tree museum? I mean, obviously, because trees are totally museum-worthy, but, like, I could meet some of their trees there? Yeah, all kinds of trees. Oh, wow, wow, yes, please, let's go right now. Lead the way, and also carry me because I have no legs. Okay, Sapina, we'll go in a sec, but first, a little sonic sleuthing. It's the... Shh! 
Are you ready, Julius? Yeah. All right. Here it is. Any guesses? Uh, if I had to guess, maybe somebody eating something? Hmm. Very, very good guess. Well, we'll be back with the answer and another chance for you to guess a little bit later in the show. Brains, brains, brains. Okay, it should be right down this hall. I see it, I see it! The Tree Hall of Fame! You guys, there it is! Wow, this is actually much bigger than I was remembering. Are we outside? Where is all that sky coming from? Well, hello down there. Uh, hi? I am Hyperion, the tallest known tree in the world. No way! I have your trading card. You're like a living high score. You are my hero. Oh, ho, ho, that's so nice to hear. Yeah, you are a Sequoia Semperference, or, you know, a Coast Redwood. You live in the Redwood National Park in California, and you're a whopping 380 feet tall. You know your stuff, little one. I am devoted to my STEM education. STEM? You mean science, technology, engineering, and math. What? No, dude. I mean STEM, like studying trees every minute. Because trees are the best. Oh, over there, is that? General Sherman's my name. Largest living tree's my claim to fame. Pleased to meet you, fine friends. Wait. Wasn't that other tree the largest? <laughs> silly human. Yes, yeah, silly human. Hyperion is the tallest known tree. General Sherman is the largest. That's measured by volume. It includes height and width. That's right. I'm a giant sequoia living in Sequoia National Park, California. I'm certainly no slender sapling. If you're looking for lean lumber, you're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> <laughs> tree jokes. It has Tree jokes! Oh, mighty General Sherman the tree, how can I grow big and tall like you in Hyperion? Be patient, little sapling. It takes time. Yes, but with luck, it will happen. Ho-ho! As you age, your bark will get harder and darker. But it won't be the bark that will make you thick and robust like us. <laughs> no, it's the stuff right under your bark, called the cambium. The cambium? Yes, indeed. It's a woody plant tissue, and over the years it will grow outward, making a tree wider and mightier. At the same time, your roots will grow deep into the ground, snaking their way through the soil to bring you water and nutrients. And branches! You'll grow many more branches filled with sun-eating leaves. Those will feed you. I enjoy that quite a bit. Eventually, you'll start growing seeds of your own. Some may even end up in the soil, where they'll grow into other trees. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I cannot wait. <laughs> well, treeing is not about speed. Indeed. I've been growing for over 600 years. Ho-ho! And I've been at it for over 2,000. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, you guys are ancient. Did someone say egg ship? 
I'd like to see an egg ship. Uh, what? Ancient. He said ancient. Don't mind Methuselah there. Methuselah is the world's oldest known tree. A legend. It's a bristlecone pine that's been growing in the eastern mountains of California for over 4,800 years. Are the eggs riding the ship? Or is it a ship made of eggs? <coughs> Either way, count me in. Its hearing isn't great. Wow, you guys have so much wisdom, so much bark. I'd love to learn more from you. Then why don't you join us? We could talk tree stuff. And you know, our favorite types of knots from time to time. What? I love knots too! You know, it seems like you're really happy here. Why don't you stay, Sapina? You know, lay down some roots. This is a perfect home for you. Really? Okay, I will. Thanks so much, Molly and Julius. We should get back to the studio anyway. See you trees later. Bye. Bye, Molly. Bye, Julius. Farewell. Sad to see you leave. <laughs> oh, come bark soon. We're rooting for you. Maybe one of the eggs is a pirate. Brains on. Right now, we're working on an episode all about spacesuits. You know, those super cool suits that let astronauts do stuff in the cold, dark vacuum of space. And we want to hear from you. If you could invent a suit to help you do something here on Earth, what would it do? Julius, what would you like a super suit to do that would be helpful to you? I would probably have a super suit that most kids would want. It would enhance your brain power, so homework would be easier. I think I would like one that is sort of like human bubble wrap. Because, you know, then I could, like, try doing new things like, I don't know, skateboarding or maybe climbing trees without worrying about hurting myself. Might be useful. Well, send your super suit ideas to us at brainson.org slash contact. We'll play some of them on that upcoming episode. And that's where you can also send us questions, drawings, mystery sounds, and high fives. That's how we received this excellent question. Hi, my name is Arturo from Tucson, Arizona. And my question is, why does the moon change colors sometimes? We'll be back with an answer to that question during our moment of um at the end of the show. And we'll read the latest group of names to be added to the Brains Honor Roll. And if you stay tuned to the very, very end, you'll hear a preview of a new episode of Smash Boom Best, our debate show that pits two cool things against each other and asks you to decide which one is best. This time, it's snakes versus spiders, so keep listening. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Julius. And I'm Molly. Hey, Julius, I think we should get back to that mystery sound right away. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, before we get back into it, before you said it was someone eating, and here's a clue. They're eating something that you might get from a tree. Okay, here it is again. Any new guesses? Uh, I would guess an apple. You are 100% correct. 
That is the sound of someone eating an apple. Very good ears. Do you, are you an apple eater yourself? Uh, yes, it is my, one of my favorite fruits. What is your favorite way to eat an apple? I always eat it from top to bottom, eating everything, really. Explain more about that. So, like, you start from, like, where the stem is? So I put out the stem. I then eat it all the way from the top. I even eat the core and then, you know, nothing left at the end. Do you eat the seeds, too? Yeah. Wow. You really like apples. And our listeners have some fruit questions as well. My name's Oliver from Adelaide, Australia. My question is... How does fruit go on trees? Hi, my name is Jude from Charlottesville, Virginia. My question is, why does fruit go on trees? So I went to the University of Minnesota Orchard where I met Jim Luby. He's a professor of horticultural science and also one of the scientists who brought us the Honeycrisp apple. An apple, which like the name describes, was bred to be very crispy and sweet. This is the oldest Honeycrisp tree in the world. It dates back to about the mid-1970s. So Jim knows his apple trees, and he showed me how these trees make fruit. So if we want to go over to this tree here, um, what we can see here is a little shoot, and this shoot grew last year, and then at the end of it, it formed what we call a terminal bud. So picture a tiny little nub on the branch of an apple tree. It's called terminal because it's at the end of the shoot that comes off the branch. And probably late last summer that it went from growing leaves on this little shoot to stopping growth at that terminal bud and so those flowers start developing inside that little bud through the late summer and fall then it, the whole tree of course goes dormant loses its leaves and goes dormant and then the following spring those flowers will continue to develop in the bud. The bud eventually breaks. We see those nice white pink flowers. Um, hopefully a bee or other pollinator comes by and deposits some pollen from a different tree. Pollen is that yellow powdery stuff you'll see in the center of flowers. All of the flowers on the apple tree have nectar and pollen to attract bees to them. But that pollen also has another purpose. It can accidentally take pollen from one tree's flower to a flower on a totally different tree. That will fertilize a cell in that flower, and it will start growing a seed. And around that seed, fruit cells will start growing. The fruit will start enlarging. Also during the summer, it's packing lots of starch into this fruit. And eventually, as the fruit ripens, that starch will be converted to sugar. And that's what you and I would recognize then as the sweetness of an apple. But it's worth it, because animals who want to eat these apples will then help spread their seeds around by gobbling up apples and pooping out the seeds somewhere else. Then, from that humble beginning, a new tree will grow. The apple trees native to North America are tiny crab apples because they were eaten by smaller animals. And all those big apples that we think of as, well apples, those can trace their roots back to Kazakhstan, where they were eaten by bears. And I've been actually over to Kazakhstan, and what you'll see is some, you'll see brown bear dung, and it's full of apple seeds. I don't know about you, but I find trees very calming to be around. My daughter hugs every tree she sees when she's walking down the street. And I want to know, Julius, do you feel a connection to trees? I know you climb them, uh, but have you ever hugged one? Or how, do, how does being around a tree make you feel? I know that they give me oxygen. They basically keep us alive. So for that, I'm grateful. So I suppose, you know, I'm happy they're around. 
I find it like, I don't know, I just kind of feel like I've sl- I slow down a little bit when I'm near a tree. Yeah. Trees do have a certain magic. They can't talk like we can. Except Sapina and those other trees. Right. Well, most trees can't talk, and they can't get around, but they're definitely alive. We wanted to know more about what they're up to, so we called David George Haskell. He's a biologist at Sewanee, the University of the South, and he wrote a book called The Songs of Trees. Welcome, David. Thank you. It's a delight to be with you. Is it true that trees use underground signals to communicate with each other? Absolutely. This is one of the revolutions in biology of the last few decades, is that we used to think trees were solitary individuals, each doing their own thing, deaf to the world. And now we know that they're engaged in this intimate conversation, both below ground and above ground, with other trees, but also with other organisms, with the insects and then the bacteria and fungi in the soil as well. So, so they're very chatty organisms. They are indeed communicating, but of course not using a language as a human language, but using their own tree method of communication, which is mostly through the medium of chemicals. Cool. So can a tree tell when another tree needs help, like when it's being attacked? Indeed it can. Now, whether the other tree is able to provide any help or not really depends on on the situation. But if insects, for example, attack one tree in a forest, the other trees around it will learn of that attack and will will defend themselves before any insects hit them. And, And they know this through a couple, at least a couple of different means. One is through airborne chemicals, little aromatic molecules that drift out of the injured tree's leaves and waft away into the air. And the leaves around that injured tree then receive those chemicals. They smell them through their leaves because the leaves, of course, are open to the air. That's how they function. They, they draw in air through little breathing pores. And with that air comes these little alarm chemicals. The other method is, is below ground. It seems that chemicals are moving from one tree to another via pathway that involves the tree's roots that are connected to fungi below ground that are then connected to more tree roots so that there's a whole hidden network of chemical conversation happening under the ground as well as in the air. Why do trees communicate? Because if they've got all these self-defence mechanisms... Uh, what is the need of actually saying if, so, if some insects are attacking you? Like, why aren't they solitary figures? So in this way, they're analogous to human communication. Why do we talk to one another? Partly it's to learn things that are going to be helpful to us. And through experiments monitoring the, the, the communication of trees and, and what they gain, people have found that trees that are and not just trees, other plants as well, that are communicating one to another, can protect themselves from drought. They can deter herbivores more effectively. They can get more carbon and nitrogen into their bodies. They can receive advance warning of what's happening in the forest. Um, So do you think that someday people can learn to understand tree communication? Like, Is there a simple thing we can do to understand it? I think people have been doing this for thousands of years. Trees center in many of our important stories about meaning. Think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree under which the Buddha was enlightened. We understand in our culture that trees are symbols of of meaning and understanding and, and wisdom. So we've been listening to them through culture and literature and poetry for many centuries. 
now science is catching up and teaching us new things about how trees can connect one to another. I would recommend, and this has been my own practice as a biologist and as a, a writer, the best way to hear the stories of the trees and to connect into this communication is to pick a particular individual tree and return it to it again and again with all of your senses open. What am I hearing here? What am I feeling through my sensitive fingertips on the tree's trunk? What can I smell here? How, how is the water moving through this environment? Returning to that tree again and again, befriending the tree. And, and the tree, of course, uses very different language than we humans, but it still has its own language, its own ancient, interesting stories that we can connect to by opening all of our senses to its, to its marvels. Thanks for talking with us today, David. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Trees start as seeds fill the starch. That starch feeds the tree until it can make a root and a sprout. The root pushes down into the soil to find nutrients and water. And the sprout climbs up above ground where it will eventually form leaves. The leaves use photosynthesis to create energy from sunlight and air, which helps the tree grow even more. Over time, the tree's bark will darken and harden and the tree will keep growing wider. Trees grow blossoms and then fruit as a way to get animals to plant their seeds in new places. And trees can communicate with each other by sending chemical messages through the air and underground. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandon Totten and Molly Bloom. Our majestic fellow is Manica Wilhelm. And we had production help from Bridget Azamoa and Christina Lopez. Engineering help from Veronica Rodriguez, Maraid Campbell, and Evan Perkins. And special thanks to Sabina Cap, Diane Pater, Marley Foyerworker Otto, Josh Holt, Vicki Kreckler, and Sam Chu. Brains On is a non-profit public radio podcast. Your support helps us keep making the show. You can support Brains On and see our cool thank you gifts at brainson.org slash donate. Now, before we go, it's time for our moment of... My question is, why does the moon change color sometimes? The moon actually doesn't change color. It looks like it changes color because of the Earth's atmosphere. My name is Sarah Comprude, and I teach astronomy here at the Bell Museum. So the moon can appear to change color based on a few different things with the Earth's atmosphere. During a total lunar eclipse, for instance, you often hear it being referred to as the blood moon, and it turns that kind of reddish, orangish color. That happens because as the light passes through the Earth's atmosphere, the red light kind of gets bent and shines on the moon. In that case, if there's more pollution, either natural or man-made pollution in the Earth's atmosphere, the deeper red it will turn. If we're looking at the moon on the horizon, and it kind of has this nice golden orange color, and then later in the evening we see it nice and high overhead, uh, and it's more white, those colors change based on how much of the Earth's atmosphere the light reflected off the moon has to pass through. It has to pass through more atmosphere on the horizon, and again, that red light is bending a little bit more to give that orangish-yellow color, where straight overhead it's more of a straight pass-through. Here's a group of people that deserves a colorful thank you. These are the kids who send us mystery sounds, letters, and drawings. And they're the newest addition to the Brains Honor Roll. 
Huxley from Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, Alexa from North Reading, Massachusetts, Cassidy from Charleston, South Carolina, Zoe from Queens, New York, Pip and Lila from Pasadena, California, Hannah and Ami from Brooklyn, California, Wyatt from Las Vegas, Sanaa from Atlanta, Peregrine from Illinois, Logan from Bayside, New York, Buck from Jericho, Vermont, Zach and Nate from Ramsey, New Jersey, Weber and Griffin from California, Allie from Jasper, Georgia, Roman from Melbourne, Australia, Luke and Simon from North Vancouver, Alex from Lawrenceville, New Jersey, Shun from Corona, California, Mason, Davis, and Gordon from Cameron Park, California, Delilah from New Orleans, Rivers from Fort Worth, Texas, Gabe from Clyde, Kansas, Alice from Grass Valley, California, Jackson from Skagway, Alaska, Penelope and Noah from Austin, Texas, Aiden, Skyler, and Zane from Silver Spring, Maryland, Eva, Max, and Will from Dallas, Penelope from Sacramento, Rachel from New South Wales, Australia, Zeke from Middlesex, Vermont, Kai May from Doha, Qatar, Lena, Lillian, and Griffin from San Antonio, Texas, Xavier from Victoria, British Columbia, Kenton from Toronto, Leo from Edmond, West Virginia, Tess from New Jersey, Kabir from Palo Alto, California, Julia from Seattle, Charlie and Harper from Los Angeles, Nicholas and Lucas from Atlanta, Neeraj from Arlington, Massachusetts, Mason from Heartland, Wisconsin, Aaron and Micah from Albany, New York, JT from Orlando, Florida, Levin and Darwin from San Diego, Caleb from Tyler, Texas, Olivia from Auburn, Alabama, Arushi from St. Paul, Minnesota, Julia from Brookfield, Wisconsin, Camden from Camas, Washington, Eve from Boulder, Colorado, Lexi and Macy from Michigan, Oscar from Berkeley, California, Leanna and Rocco from Warrington, Virginia, Ruby and Grace Ann from Richmond, Virginia, and Adeza and Ozzy from Los Angeles. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening. And now, here's a sneak peek at the latest episode of Smash Boom Best. Smash Boom Best. Our micro round challenge today is Be My Roommate. We've asked Jenny and Anna to imagine what a spider and a snake might be looking for in a roommate and to write up a listing about it. Anna went first last time, so our resident spider expert, Jenny, is up first. Jenny, what is the spider side of your identity looking for in a roommate? Quiet and tidy house spiders seeking similarly considerate roommate to share web-building chores and food-trapping responsibilities. Started a six-inch web by the corner of the living room door that is, in my humble opinion, a geometric and architectural marvel. And yes, I said marvel. Huge fan of Spider Girl. Looking for a roomie who can also spin some sick silk. Landlord is very understanding and won't leave us alone because we'll be capturing houseflies, mosquitoes, gnats, and wasps for food and humans hate bugs. More for us. I hang out on the web basically all day, but you will never notice me. Super good at tippy-toeing on all eight legs. Also, I have really slow metabolism and don't need to hunt for food every day, so I could be the chillest roomie and not move until we catch us some dinner vibrations. My hubby already came by for a honeymoon visit, and luckily he wasn't too small and weak, or else I would have eaten him, lol, but thankfully he already left. I am pregnant and laid a thousand eggs in my silk sacks, but those kiddos will leave home immediately after they're born. So don't worry. I love my privacy. Hope you do too. DM me and let's weave our very own world wide web. (laughs) That is one compelling listing. Harriet, any thoughts about Jenny's roommate listing? Way better than I thought living with a spider could ever (laughs) be. It's a pretty good sell. That's right. All right, Anna, what is your snake alter ego looking for in a roomie? Rattlesnake looking for a friend to share my space. 
My house has everything because I have so many different interests. I like hiding under rocks, slithering through the underbrush, climbing trees, and swimming. A little bit about me. I'm seven feet long, have no arms or legs, and I'm something of a musician. After all, I have a built-in instrument on my tail. It might sound like a maraca, but it's actually interlocking scales that make noise when I shake them. I usually use my rattle to warn off predators, but hey, it makes a great addition to a drum circle, too. This house has been in my family for over a hundred years. Generations of my relatives have hibernated here. I'll only go into hibernation if the temperature gets too cold, though, so I like to keep the thermostat pretty high. Hopefully, you don't mind. I tend to keep to myself, but I can have a bit of a temper. That said, I will usually warn you before lashing out. Just stay out of my stuff, okay? Eight legs, six legs, four legs, two legs, no legs, all are welcome. Though, whoever you are, make sure you're a lot bigger than I am. When I get hangry, I can open my mouth close to 180 degrees to eat even moderately-sized roommates. This has been a problem in the past. Hope to meet you soon. <laughs> Excellent work, Team Snake. Excellent. Harriet, any thoughts? Did did uh, Anna make it sound like living with a snake would be pretty cool? Oh, definitely. If you want to be eaten... <laughs> Make your call, Harriet. <laughs> but hey, they'll eat the uh, they'll eat the mice and rats too. So there's that. So both roommates provide excellent pest control. Harriet, now is the moment to make your decision about who is going to get a point for this micro round. It's a tough one. It is, and it's been done. Mm, she is done. She has marked the point. I am tingling. With anticipation. I'm so nervous. <laughs> Me too. Find out who wins this epic debate by subscribing to Smash Boom Best on your podcast app. And go to smashboom.org where you can vote for your favorite. 